Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And I want to go back to talk about Hertz again, because Hertz Rental Car has never been in the news as much as it's been the last week or two. Hertz put out an alert on the topic that I addressed last week, which was people, individual investors, bidding up the price of Hertz's stock in bankruptcy. And Hertz put out a warning that, by the way, in bankruptcy, our stock is probably going to end up being wiped out. And that's something that people on message boards, investing message boards, may not have the experience to know that that is usually what happens. You have to be hyper lucky when you speculate in the stock of a bankrupt company that it works out well for you and you actually make money. So be very wary of all this buzz going on buying Hertz's stock and that of others that are in bankruptcy because maybe you are going to be the one who gets hyper lucky, but the odds are more likely the other way that the money you've put into Hertz stock ends up being written down to zero as the creditors in a bankruptcy process end up with the value that remains and only if they are fully satisfied is there money left for stockholders and the value of your stock. Now the other thing that Hertz has been so in the news about is Hertz has a massive car rental fleet which is not in use right now for the most part, is air travel is down by shocking historical numbers. And so Hertz is liquidating a lot of their fleet. And so people are focusing a lot on Hertz car sales and the deals available. And I've looked extensively at what's available on the Hertz sales website. And the way it works is that if you buy a vehicle within so many miles of your home zip code because of its local availability there's no delivery charge you move out a little further it's 200 bucks and then it keeps going up from that and you can end up with a thousand dollar delivery charge for the vehicle added on to the price so you got to pay attention to that second a lot of these vehicles have even though they're relatively new 2019s or 2018s a lot of them have very high mileage on the odometer so vehicles, when they depreciate, depreciate first based on model year and second based on mileage. So mileage has a much smaller effect on value than the model year. So as an example, let's say you see a 2019 with 60,000 miles on it and it's available just any brand, let's say. See, it's 2019 with 60,000 miles on it. And then you see a 2017 somewhere else just buying a used vehicle that has 25,000 miles on it. Do you want the 2019 with 60,000 miles like the marketplace assess, gives more value to that? Or would you rather have the 2017 with the lower miles? From my car shopping, I would rather have a vehicle that's got more model years that have passed, like the 2017, with much lower miles. But 
people are paying close attention to what Hertz is selling. The big benefit for you is that Hertz flooding the used vehicle market is helping to hold down the price of used vehicles wherever you buy them. When you're looking at one that's, let's say, a 2016 or newer, that the Hertz vehicles in the market are having an impact on prices driving them down. So you don't have to buy from Hertz to get that deal. And again, look at the mileage that a lot of these vehicles have and be comfortable with buying one with that many miles versus looking at what's available generally, potentially with fewer miles. Now, if you have a question for me, go to clark.com ask. And producer Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Cassandra in Georgia. She says, I'm getting unemployment from my part-time job, but I'm still working at my full-time job. My part-time job filed on my behalf and I did nothing on my end, nor did I know it was going to happen. I've researched my case on the Department of Labor's website, but I've found no information. I've called and I've left an email. Should I be receiving this money? And if not, how do I stop the money from coming every week? Well, first of all, I want to tell you how wonderful you are in terms of your honesty and ethics. So this is an unusual situation that is part of the coronavirus relief statutes passed by the Congress. And there's been some interpretations on this that have been variable on whether you have two jobs and lose one are you eligible for partial unemployment for the one you've lost? And this is this is one that doesn't have an absolute solid answer. Now, it's been impossible in most states to reach someone at employment customer service, but that has gotten easier in the last few weeks as the number of people filing an initial claim for unemployment has reduced. So I would call your state unemployment office and see their interpretation if you were allowed, and this would not normally be the case, but right now, if you are allowed to continue to receive that unemployment compensation for that part-time job that you don't have while you're still working at the full-time job. And Kim, you have spent so much time investigating what's been going on with unemployment compensation in the various states. Is there anything you've seen that would change the answer that I just gave? No, Clark, you got it. The only thing I would add is all of that is the way that it's supposed to work. And a lot of time it's, it's just not working the way it's supposed to work. Right. Well, we've had unprecedented numbers of people filing and sure. state systems weren't prepared for it. There weren't enough workers to handle it um, at state unemployment offices. And there are even people today who filed for unemployment in a variety of states in March, who still now in June don't have even their first dollar of unemployment compensation. So this has been a messy, messy spring. Joel? Clark, this one's from Everett in Ohio. He says, thank you for all your hard work recently. And with the mortgage interest rates near an all-time low, we have five and a half years remaining on a 20-year note with a rate around 4.5%. With such a short window left to pay on, do we have a good option? And by the way, we have excellent credit. 
So that's a, a great question. You said the rate again was four and a half? Four and a half. At four and a half, you may not have a move that would work for such a short window left remaining paying. Here's my only idea. A number of credit unions write seven-year fixed rate loans and 10-year fixed rate loans. You also have a possibility of looking at something that used to be very common but now uh, is very unusual to take out, and that's known as a 5-1 arm, where you'd have a fixed rate for five years and then a floating rate after that. Now, here's the irony. It is amortized or scheduled to pay out over 30 years. You would just do your own amortization calculator with any of the programs available on the web or with one of the apps and figure out what you'd need to pay uh, over 66 months to keep the term the same as you have. And you likely would get a rate somewhere in the twos potentially on either doing a seven-year fixed rate at a credit union or doing a 5-1 arm. And that may, may be worth doing. You'd have to run the numbers to see what your payback period would be for you to do that refi. Otherwise, you're in a great position with not a lot of years left. Kim? This is from Tim in Florida. And please keep in mind, he sent this last week, okay? He says he's 56. He has a target retirement fund. He chose a 2030 fund, hoping to retire closer to 65. Here's my concern. Today, the day I'm sending this, the Dow was down around 1,800 points, but my IRA was up. How can this be? Obviously, I'm happy that I didn't take a hit, but my main concern is when the market goes back up, do I end up losing money? Why is this happening this way? All right, that's a great question. So you have to look what's behind the curtain in your target retirement fund. As you're closer to retirement, the mix of investments continually gets what the uh, builder of your target retirement fund sees is more conservative. So the, it doesn't follow the simple rhymes of stock market indexes where your value is not going to go up or down in concert with that. And it's designed not just for 2030, because 2030 as the target when you retire, it's assuming that it you get to age 65, you're likely to live on average somewhere into your 80s, and a lot of people will live longer. So it's also thinking about making sure that you have sufficient money for your decades following retirement. So know that you're probably in the right place in that target retirement fund, and don't worry so much about what happens with the scary headlines with the stock indexes. Joel? Clark Jackie in Georgia says, is there going to be another stimulus check going out? I heard that there might be another one that's going to be issued. It's an election year, and I think there's motivation from both political parties to hand out another stimulus. But at this point, there are multiple proposals being bandied about, and it's totally impossible to know which will catch on which will be able to make it through a democratically controlled house and then a republican controlled senate and then get to the president's desk and the president's going to want to sign it but i think that there is a d 
decently strong possibility that there will be another stimulus payment of some kind and no clue what it'll look like or how it'll work. Kim? Julie in South Carolina says, on April 21st, I sent my passport to the State Department for renewal. I know they have a limited staff on hand right now, but when can I expect to get my passport? We're planning a trip for December and I'll need it. And yes, they did already cash my check. Well, you can go on the State Department website and check the status of your passport. It's actually pretty easy to track there. And if your passport seems to have gone lost in space, or the worst scenario is they think they've completed it, and they think they've sent it back to you completed, and it's lost in space. But see what its status is in their system. And if you put down on your application your expected time period of travel, there would not be any real concern on my part that you have not received it yet. Um, But just track it, and if it has gone crazy, lost, or missing, call uh, to try to reach customer no service at the State Department. And if you run into a brick wall, contact your congressman's constituent service office. They'll get you a solid answer. Sherry's with us on the Clark Howard Show. What's going on? I'm getting bombarded with calls from people saying that they want to buy my house. My house is not on the market, and it hasn't been on the market. And I'm just kind of wondering, what's behind all of this? Well, there are multiple possibilities. These are not even real estate companies. These are people that call and say... Oh, "Hmm." they're they're quote-unquote investors. Uh, Yes, they say, oh, you know, I'm not sure I've even gotten the right number. But I'm really interested in your property. My name is Lynn, and that's the you know that's the general gist of all of the calls. So, um, I get letters. I got letters repeatedly since I don't answer my phone from people <laughs> trying to buy uh, property I have, and um, obviously I'm not. I'm not interested in, well, I shouldn't say obviously, I'm not interested in selling that property, but I keep getting the letters. And I think it's in areas where the market's hot and people hope that you'll accept what they're offering and they will either be able to flip it, uh, you know, maybe do a little dress up the property and flip it at a nice profit, or Mm -hmm. they'll be able to own something as investment property at a below market price. Mm-hmm. Well, I wondered if maybe they were checking tax records or something and saw that, you know, I now qualify for a senior exemption and that was the reason I was being bombarded. You know, on whether or not your age is a factor, I don't know. Are you close to any of your neighbors, you could ask them if they're getting these solicitations also. I haven't asked any of them. I've talked to several other people I know, not necessarily in the neighborhood, and they said, yes, they are, they're receiving them too. I was just deciding that it was some form of scam. No, not necessarily. I mean, somebody wanting to lowball you on your home is just somebody trying to make money. <laughs> I don't think they want to pay the right price. So. Well, are you interested in moving on, or are you wanting to stay in no. your home? No, no. And my house is well maintained. I am in a neighborhood that has uh, 
starting to transition to young families and excellent school districts. So there's probably a demand for it, but it just seems so strange. I really don't see this as strange because when when you're in a hot neighborhood that the houses are moving up in price, the houses sell quickly, there's a lot of people who sense opportunity and profit in that, and it's a numbers game. So you're not interested in selling, but maybe your neighbor who's been in the neighborhood a long time, four houses down, is like, yeah, I'm ready to move on. I'll sell this house. And if you are of that mind and people are really chomping at the bit to buy your home, you use that as an opportunity to set off a bidding war when the time comes to sell. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. And there's been a lot of buzz about the uh, increase in the number of coronavirus cases in a number of states around the U.S. But the country is fatigued with any kind of lockdown, and there's no picture I can... I can see no scenario where we would go back into any broad-based, very strong lockdowns anywhere in the United States. And so the question comes, as we go about our business, what things are safe, uh, relatively speaking, and what things put us at higher risk? And there's been a lot of confusion about this, so I was very interested in some work that was done where public health experts were screened and asked what they felt, given a list of activities, which ones they felt were the ones that would put you at the least risk and which ones would put you at the most risk. And this was done by M Live which is an, uh, it's a news source in a number of communities in the state of Michigan. And they asked these public health experts to rank separately so that nobody, there was no group think where anybody knew what another public health expert would say, what was dangerous and what was not. So let's start with what's the least dangerous activities for you to do by the compilation of opinions of these public health experts, and others may disagree, but the trends seem fairly clear here, what things you could do if you've been um, being careful where you're out and about, or maybe you have stayed in some version of your own form of quarantine. So safest things out there, any form of curbside pickup, that that uh, even takeout, made the list as uh, lowest risk, rated again 1 to 9, that was a 1. Playing tennis, also a 1. 2, walking, running, or biking with others because of you're out in the fresh air, you're moving, the risk of getting ill from someone else is reduced. Buying gasoline also ranks as a 2, that that is a very low-risk activity. Uh, Going to the grocery store ranks as a three. Even though you're around other people, there are a number of procedures that grocery stores have put in place. Um, In conjunction with that, 
One of the things that was mentioned by unanimously by the public health experts is something that for some reason has become controversial, and that is the value of people wearing masks as a way of reducing the spread of coronavirus in any setting like something like getting groceries, uh, going camping, going to hotels, playing golf, going to libraries and museums. Those all rank as threes. So uh, very, very low risk, not the lowest risk, but very low risk. So we move more to the middle. Four, going to a dentist office, walking in a busy downtown, being in an office, uh, going to a doctor's office and being in his or her waiting room, and sitting in a restaurant at an outside table. Those all rank as fours. And then uh, we move to the middle of the pack. Five, dinner parties at a house, flying on an airplane, a backyard barbecue, going to a mall, a beach, or bowling. So those all rank uh, right at the middle of the trend line. Now we move to things that take you beyond average risk. Six, going to a casino, uh, going to a restaurant with indoor seating. So you think about the three categories of restaurants. Uh, Doing curbside pickup or takeout is a one. Sitting in an outside table is a four. Sitting in an inside table is a six. And everybody's got to decide the level of risk that feels comfortable for them. Uh, Also a six, going to playgrounds, uh, hair salons, barber shops, movie theaters. Seven, playing basketball outdoors. So why is basketball outdoors so much more risky than playing tennis or playing golf, even though they're all outside sports activities, uh, more risky than walking, running, or biking, which was very low Because in basketball, people tend to have very close physical contact with each other continually as they're playing. Uh, Also, a seven public pools and schools. I've shared my opinion in the past that I think it's really important for kids' development, even with the risks involved, that schools be open in some form with kids being in contact with each other and be in a classroom situation when schools go back in August or September. And I I understand it has a heightened risk, but of all the things on the list, that one to me is really important for our children's future. Uh, Category eight, going to any sports stadium, going to a gym. We just had a big uh, gym chain file for bankruptcy today. Going to amusement parks, going to churches or other religious congregation events buffets, and then the most dangerous of all, Category 9, going to bars and large music concerts. So uh, there are, I'm sure there are public health officials that would argue with some of these placements, but if you think about the relative scale, uh, if you're concerned about your health, thinking through the level of risk and is it worth it to you, you'll have to make your own decision. And again, on the mask, that will be a personal decision on your part as well, unless it's compelled by the place you're going to or by a local government. And producer Kim, who do you have a question from right now? This is from Jerry in New York. He says, I purchased four concert tickets from a popular third-party seller. 
The concert was postponed. It was supposed to be in July. So I paid the seller slash scalper much more than the original price because the tickets were scooped up pretty fast. I also made the mistake of not paying attention to the fees before completing the transaction. Do I have a right for a refund rather than tickets to the show in 2021? Would I be able to get back the scalper's profit and the outrageous third-party fees? I have emailed them but have not gotten support yet. So with the when you buy tickets above face, you are put in risky territory anytime an event is canceled. I remember when I was hearing from people when the Masters golf tournament was delayed and people you're not supposed to be able to trade in those tickets. It's one of those wink wink nod nod things. And so I heard from a number of people who paid way beyond what the tickets are in theory. Uh, sold for and you if you can't go at the rescheduled time you lose your value and so my understanding is that unless the scalper who you bought the tickets from is willing to give a refund to you that you were you're really between a rock and a hard place and you're in a position where the choice you're left with is to go at the rescheduled time or if you don't want to go because you don't feel safe going to the concert to sell the tickets for what the marketplace will bear and recover whatever of your money you can recover. Joel? Clark Jody in Georgia says, I took some advice that I heard on your show that now is a great time to buy a car. When I started shopping at the dealerships, I was told that the car inventory is low due to lack of production and therefore cars are not available and prices are up. Am I being scammed? It's hard for me to believe that so many cars have been sold during this pandemic. Actually, car sales are down significantly, but because automakers, factories were on shutdown for about 11 weeks, I think nine to 11 weeks, somewhere in there, the uh, lower demand was enough to soak up a lot of the unsold inventory. And dealers were, during the time period that so many places were in shutdown, dealers ran out of places to actually store the inventory of vehicles they had. And they have now worked off for a lot of popular models that backlog And what I encourage you to do now for new vehicles is manufacturers are steadily ramping production back up again, but demand remains below historical norms. Let the clock run till maybe August or September. And I think that is going to be the next possibility to find good deals on new vehicles. But you were not being lied to by the dealer. Supply and demand changed that quickly i mean demand still soft but enough that it outran supply kim edgar in colorado says i have eight thousand dollars left on my student loan and i can pay it off right now if i pay off the full balance will that hurt my credit score dramatically due to the closing of an account and its eight-year history if that is the case how do i go about paying off this debt What a good problem to have. (laughs) You're in a position to be student loan debt-free. Go ahead and pay it off and be done with it. As far as the history, that history remains solid. 
It will continue to report for years to come. It will not age anymore, but it will still be solid history. I'm hoping that you have other forms of credit in your life that you have uh, potentially uh, the my Noah's Ark rule of minimum two credit cards. I don't know what other loans you might have. You could have a vehicle loan. You could have a mortgage. I just don't know what makes up your mix. If this student loan was the only thing you have, I'd like you to go get other credit so that you have a wider credit picture. But it's nothing but a good thing for you to have successfully completed paying off your student loan, and I congratulate you for that. Joel? Clark Michael in Florida says, I understand the cruise industry is going through difficult times, but it's been over three months since we canceled our cruise. We still have not received our money back and will have gone over the time frame that they promised. Can we do a chargeback on our credit card? Also, would this protect us if the cruise line files for bankruptcy? So the cruise line thing is really, really rough. Um, people are booking cruises in significant numbers for 2021 Uh, psychologically for whatever reason cruise passengers feel comfortable booking next year and that's bringing in some badly needed cash to the cruise industry cruise lines have been extremely short of cash and have just played rough and tumble on refunds to people the chargeback rates you have with your credit card company will very much depend on how your credit card company works on your behalf or doesn't because the amount of time that will have passed from when you originally paid for that cruise on the credit card. So uh, it doesn't hurt for you to do a chargeback, and it may in fact work to get you your money back. Is for cruise lines, slow walking refunds, that is absolutely what's going on. And I don't know that all the cruise lines we have, even though they've done a great job raising money in financial markets, if they are all going to make it. So, yeah, I would try the chargeback, but can't promise that will bring the results you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Colin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Colin. How you doing? Very good. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. So you want to talk to me about a private investment group. Tell me about it. First and foremost, I have been a longtime listener, and and thank you very much to you and your dedicated staff for providing us hardworking citizens out here some sound financial advice every day. I do appreciate listening to you every day and and, uh, get a lot out of your show. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for your kind words. That's very nice of you. 
I am fortunate that I have been able to uh, diversify um, over the years, and I'm always looking to for further additional diversification avenues. And I ran across one the other day on the Internet, uh, and it just on the surface, years ago, it would have sounded like an old-fashioned loan shark to uh, some people. But, you know, they, the statement is that, you know, they provide investors with access to um, asset-based investments. And they're targeting, you know, an 8 to 20% yield return, which sounds phenomenal to me. I did some more Internet searching. I could not find a lot of information regarding you know these these sort of investment options and i just wondered if you had come across these in in any of your workings in the past yeah so this is a very controversial investment area because generally you're lending money to people through the organization who are people who are trying to take something they're anticipating a legal settlement um, some kind of money that they are expecting from an inheritance or something like that and turn it into quick cash. Okay. And so essentially you're, you're discounting the value of what they are going to receive later. Okay. And this has been an area that is, um, there have been some con artists in this area who have, pretended this is what they were doing, but they just ran off with the investor's money. Sure. Um, the organization you're interested in, there are, there are a lot of people who gripe about the organization, but nobody has accused them of running any kind of scam. Okay. The people who use their, uh, let's call it loosely financing, um, are paying a very precious amount to get money that they're going to receive later, get it quicker, um, what they end up paying for, it's a ripoff for them. Okay. So for you, it is a way for you to, as you said, diversify your sources of income. And this is an area where you're right to do as much digging as you can and research as you can, because again, there's a lot of creeps in this business. Okay. So Perfect. read the disclosures. The disclosures will, um, will probably require that you be what's known as an accredited investor. Yeah, I did meet the, according to the literature, the online stuff I could find, I did meet the requirements. Okay, just so other people know what that means, it's when you have enough money and supposedly enough investment sophistication that if you lost all the money that you wouldn't be destitute. Correct. And so... Uh, this is a much higher risk form of investing. You just have to decide if it's something that you're comfortable doing and don't bet the farm on it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.